2020 was one hell of a year for, well, everybody, but in a good way, a great way. 2020 was a hell of a year for comedian Sarah Cooper. This morning, Sarah Cooper. Sarah Cooper. Sarah Cooper. Sarah Cooper, thank you so much for being on our show. The longtime stand-up and writer had a mainstream moment thanks to her series of hilarious videos which started on TikTok where she would lip-sync Donald Trump's most ridiculous speeches. So, you know, Donald Trump's speeches. It started when her nephew turned her on to the app TikTok in the first place. And it's there that she went viral thanks to these lip-syncing videos. She'd film herself in her apartment doing all the classics, like the one about injecting bleach into our bodies to combat COVID-19. Or who could forget man, woman, person, camera, TV. I can't. I can't forget it. But thankfully, I can also remember it set to Sarah Cooper's over-the-top miming and facial expressions. Sarah's popularity doing these didn't stop at TikTok. The surge in fame spilled across social media, attracting the attention and praise of fellow comedians like Mike Birbiglia and Jerry Seinfeld, and landing her appearances in the media everywhere from the New York Times, Vogue, and Vanity Fair, to CBS Sunday Morning, The Tonight Show, and a guest hosting gig for Jimmy Kimmel. She was even offered a Netflix special doing sketch comedy. So the struggling stand-up suddenly found herself shooting her own show featuring an all-star list of cameos. These people included Aubrey Plaza, Marissa Tomei, Winona Ryder, Ben Stiller, John Hamm, Jane Lynch, Megan Thee Stallion, Maya Rudolph, and Helen freaking Mirren. And just a few days prior to me recording this, CBS announced that they'd purchased a pilot from Sarah based on her book, How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings. Today, Sarah Cooper now has 332,000 subscribers on YouTube, 650,000 followers on TikTok, 885,000 followers on Instagram, 2.4 million followers on Twitter, and 500-plus connections on LinkedIn. And I bring up LinkedIn because for a time, before this sudden spike in fame, Sarah felt more chained to LinkedIn, or at least the vibe of LinkedIn, than the vibe of TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and Netflix and The Tonight Show and Jimmy Kimmel and Vogue and, 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 and. Because before the fame, Sarah was focused on and kind of slogging through corporate comedy. She would do parodies of the workplace. And for years, she plugged away. She wrote blog posts. She had a few stand-up acts here and there, a few corporate gigs here and there, bit by bit, rep by rep, until some initial traction doing business-related humor caused her to start breaking through. And it's right then, as she had just broken through, getting some notoriety and audience, that I talked to her. And it's also just then, as she experienced that tiny taste of success, that the real questions crept in. It's the classic 10-year overnight success. Keep, keep, keep it going. It's unthinkable. Stories of creators who challenge the convention to make what matters most. I'm Jay Akunzo. So today, uh, as this show lurches back into action and I produce new episodes for you consistently again, hopefully, fingers crossed, some things are up in the air. We'll talk about it. Don't worry. You're going to be a part of this ride. But as this show lurches back into action, I wanted to revisit an older episode going back to, I want to say 2016. It was several years ago before Sarah's spike in fame. And we were all so young then, weren't we? You and I, years before the pandemic, the word distance had not yet become a verb. And it hadn't decided to settle down right next to the word social. And Sarah Cooper 
was not the famous person that maybe you know her to be. So in this episode from the Unthinkable Archives, we're going to take a trip back in time and hear from a pre-mainstream Sarah Cooper. After watching her and following her, really excited for her throughout 2020, I couldn't stop thinking about our conversation, and I wanted to re-air it as soon as we relaunched Unthinkable, because it's just so damn revealing about the creative process and all kinds of things we can learn and, and take comfort in, in a way, as all of us mere mortals try to make what matters to us and our communities. But before we get there, here's a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Every creative person is trying to make what matters. The motivation we feel, the boss or client we like or dislike, the works we admire, it all comes back to the endless pursuit of one idea. Make what matters. This show and all my projects are now supported by a community group that you can join of the same name. It's called Make What Matters. It's a paid membership for ambitious creators in business with an emphasis on writing, creating shows, and the two extremes of creative work the consistent hidden practice, and the memorable public projects. In the group, we'll explore tiny techniques to create better, creativity concepts to think differently, and business-related items to help each of us earn more resources or income. Plus, I'll share plenty of behind-the-scenes and bonus content from Unthinkable, and I have plans to make the show with the group, too. You can become a member to get everything or support the show with a monthly donation to just get the bonus content from the show visit makewhatmattersgroup.com and use the code UNTHINKABLE for a discount. makewhatmattersgroup.com People who create for a living spend an insane amount of time and energy trying to build an audience for their work. We want others to take notice. We wonder why more people don't read something, watch something, listen to something, or love something. If only we had a big audience we'd get some sweet, sweet creative freedom. We'd be able to do absolutely anything we want on the back of that nice, big, happy audience. We'd be free to pursue our aspirations to their fullest extent. We'd be free of bosses, free of clients, free of corporate red tape and process, free of all those people who, quote, don't get it. We could create whatever we wanted. Free. Or so we think. I have an audience now, but it's not even that huge. Like there are people that have millions of, you know, subscribers or followers or whatever. Um, I, I'm not that big at all. And yet I still, you know, I still feel um, kind of paralyzed sometimes about, you know, wanting to wanting to make them happy. That's Sarah Cooper. And today she's a writer and a comedian. But as far back as she can remember, she's wanted to be creatively free. She's wanted it so bad, in fact, that she willingly left a great job at one of the best companies to work for, maybe ever if you believe the hype. In the fall of 2014, Sarah Cooper left Google. It's like you have to admit it to yourself first that there's, you have this amazing thing that you actually want to give up. You know, this amazing thing is actually not good enough for you, which it just sounds crazy. Um, and so it's, it takes a long time to actually admit that to yourself. Even after I made the decision to leave, I, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night wondering if I did the right thing and maybe, you know, I should actually just stay and maybe I should just switch teams. Like maybe that, that wasn't the right thing for me to do. So it took a really long time. And even after I left, I was like, well, maybe I'll go back, you know, maybe in six months or whatever, I'll go back. Her plan was to see where her blog could lead her. 
The site is called The Cooper Review, and it's a parody of your stereotypical business things like meetings and email and bosses with articles like how to use math words to sound smart, nine nodding strategies for your next meeting, or one of my favorites, how to politely tell your coworkers to shut the bleep up. Starting your own brand is is something that just takes a lot of commitment. And I definitely have commitment issues when it comes to like, this is me and this is who I am. And I'm going to shout it from the mountaintop. That's just not like who I've been. Sarah had originally wanted to act, which is why she came to New York in the first place. She now lives in San Francisco. But while on the East Coast, she fell out of love with acting during her initial summer conservatory. I think when you have um, a dream for so long I don't know, it kind of takes on this like mythical quality and you end up pursuing it even despite the fact that it might not be the right thing for you. And I think that's what happened with me in acting. After leaving, she landed a job at Google on the Google Docs team, and she launched a side project to keep her performance career alive. She decided to spin up a blog called The Cooper Review and started doing stand-up comedy in small clubs and bars where she could. And she thought maybe that would be enough. Maybe she didn't need to pursue her creative aspirations full-time as a performer. But the itch just wasn't fully scratched. And although it was scary to think about, she decided that she had to leave the company. You know, I just, it, it took me a while to be like, okay, you know what, I have to just commit to this and say this is who I am. I had left Google, and I remember telling my manager that I was leaving to become a writer. And I think his first question was, do you have a book deal? And I was like, nope, <laughs> but I'm still leaving. <laughs> um, and I didn't even know that that was a possibility. And I thought even if it was a possibility, it would probably be a few years out. I really plan to just continue to blog, hopefully make money through advertising, sponsored posts, um, do videos. That, that really was my plan. The article that gave her confidence that she could actually build a career around her blog was her most read post ever. 10 tricks to appear smart in meetings. Trick number one, draw a Venn diagram. And trick number three, I'm actually totally guilty of, encourage everyone to take a step back. Because, she says, you have to ask what it is we're really trying to solve here. And then, boom, you've bought yourself another hour of looking smart. So, admittedly, this particular article is kind of hilarious. And it's gotten over 2 million views, having been widely shared on channels like Twitter and Medium. And on the back of that post, Sarah began writing like crazy. She then launched a video series and put her stand-up comedy chops to use on the Cooper Review. She attracted a few thousand subscribers, then a few thousand more, and steadily, she built herself an audience. And she did, indeed, land a book deal. My current literary agent, who uh, read the kind of half a proposal that I'd written and just loved it, just immediately got it. Um, you know, when I first met her, we talked for hours. She just was just such a huge fan of, of what I'd done. Um, she was already sharing it with, you know, her husband, you know, her sister, like anybody that she could talk to, she was sharing it. So I just knew that she was kind of like the person that I should be working with because she was such a huge fan of what I was doing. So things were starting to look up for Sarah and her business parody site, The Cooper Review. Just one teeny tiny little existential career and life altering problem. I was really worried about, um, you know, almost everybody, probably the first several thousand people that found me, found me through my article, 10 tricks to appear smart in meetings. And people are still finding me through that one article. And, uh, it's tough because 
I feel like they're expecting more of that. And it's great because I have a book coming out that's like that, but I don't want to do that forever. And, um, and so I feel pretty confused right now because I'm not even in the corporate world anymore. And I know that I'm, I'm not going to want to talk about that forever. And there's so much more to life than, um, than, you know, offices and office space and all that stuff. So, um, I'm looking forward to actually evolving so that I can talk about things other than the corporate world. And so I've, you know, I've done a lot of reading on, you know, should you focus on a niche, you know, and, and, and really attack it or, you know, should you be more broad? And, you know, I think it's good that I sort of have this niche that I'm known for right now, but I definitely want to expand it and I'm scared to expand it. I'm scared to change the look of, you know, the illustrations that I do, which I want to do. And I'm scared to change of change the way that I sort of create content because I don't want to disappoint the the thousands of people that found me through this one thing that I did that they all really like. Um, so I, yeah, that's, that's the part that I'm, you know, struggling with right now. Wait, what? Anyone who creates for a living, hears the words, the first several thousand that found me. And they think, wait, I'd love for several thousand people to find me. Even if you create stuff found by millions someday, several thousand people is still huge in absolute terms. So what's the problem here? I mean, isn't the point to put yourself out there for others to find? It's it's a, it's a terrible, I don't know, it's, it's a terrible situation because you have to show your work. You have to show it to people. You have to get feedback, you know, good or bad. You have to um, put yourself out there if you want to, you know, move forward with something. But part of me wants to just, you know, sit in my room and create things for myself and, and just, you know, laugh to myself at, at things. And it's, I, I think that I, I don't anticipate it. And yet it happens to me every time. It's one of those things that's constantly like, oh, yeah, I, I am going to go through this, you know, back and forth of, am I, am I saying this right? Am I saying this right? Sarah says that despite her success so far, despite that initial audience, despite the book deal, she's worried. Instead of creative freedom, she feels trapped. Do I do the thing that everybody wants me to do and everybody expects me to do, or do, do I do the thing that I want to do? And I'm such a people pleaser that I really do want to do the thing that everybody wants me to do. And when I leave my job to, to go do, to go be beholden to like another group of people, that doesn't make any sense. Right, so right. it's kind of like, I really have to like push myself and put myself out there as much as I can. And, you know, if it sticks great. And I, if it doesn't, then maybe I'll try something else. So how does someone who's gained attention doing something one way find that something else? I, I don't know. There's so much that I, I want to talk about. Uh, you know, every, almost everybody that knows me wants me to write about relationships and wants me to write about, you know, dating or being married or all, and stuff like that. And I would love to write about that as well. I don't know how that's going to work. I think it's just like Sarah mentioned about leaving Google. To others, it seems like you're about to give up this amazing thing. But you have to admit that to yourself and accept that, even if it actually sounds crazy. It's like being a runner. I used to run cross country in high school, and I remember looking at the winner of a race one day and saying to a teammate, man, if I could only be that good, all of this stuff would be easy. No way, he told me. That guy's dying just as much as you do. He just reaches a faster pace before he does. It's all about threshold training, he said. That's when an athlete pushes themselves to the edge of their ability. It's how they get stronger, faster, and better. 
So as a runner, or a writer, or a comedian, or anyone really, you push yourself to be at that next level among those people you envy and admire. But once you get there, you realize there's another level, another threshold, and another, and another. And so it's not about getting to that one place, then stopping, then getting content. It's about pushing your own threshold further and further out. Sarah is living through that transition between thresholds right now. Like I'm right now looking at a lot of online web comics and wondering how I could, you know, tell more stories. Because right now I do a lot of lists and it's a lot of, you know, bad advice, uh, you know, kind of stuff like that. Um, but I want to, I kind of want to tell more stories. And so I'm looking at, you know, people that, that do draw these great web comics and I'm like, Oh, I want to be more, you know, like that. <laughs> so it's, you know, I guess it's just constantly evolving and, and changing and wanting to, to really find that thing that's going to get you out there as much as possible. I think also being a designer and anytime you're thinking about, you know, production value of something and an an audience viewing something, you're always putting yourself in their shoes and wondering how they're going to receive it. And I think it's actually, it's a good and a bad thing. You know, you want to create something that people are going to like. Um, but at the same time, you don't want it to, you know, hamper, uh, what you really want to say. And I'm still struggling with that. I'm still struggling with being really honest for fear of being maybe too negative or um, maybe having someone take something the wrong way or, you know, maybe someone thinking, oh, maybe this isn't on brand or something. I do still struggle with that. Bit by bit, Sarah works on her craft. At first, she wrote one blog post, then two. It felt hard, but she kept going. More blog posts. That felt easier. She tried some stand-up, and now she's creatively drained again but she kept going back to the bar, back to the club, and it got a little bit easier. Then she launched a video, then another. Wait a sec, this kind of thing still feels hard. Her creative muscles were straining, but she just kept pushing until she finally got that book deal, finally crossed that finish line. But wait a sec, she still feels spent. And tomorrow, there's another race. You know, I'm definitely better than I was a year ago, but I'm definitely not where, still not where I want to be. Maybe that's what true creative freedom is all about, reaching new thresholds, improving ourselves. I created a a private Facebook group of just kind of close friends and family, um, and I've started sharing things there first before I actually share them um, on my website, and that's been really helpful. I find that the act of just showing something to someone makes it better. Um, because you auto, you you automatically start seeing it from their perspective, and so you can kind of see like what could be better about it. As much as I hate being judged, I need to be judged. <laughs> I need to have people look look at what I what I do and let me know what they think of it. So I asked Sarah, if this is such a grind, if it takes so much mental exertion to put herself out there, has she ever thought of, you know, not? No. <laughs> I'm, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm just, I can't stop doing it. I can't, I want to get to that million very badly. And I, 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 there's that, that's one thing that I, I guess helped me leave Google too, is that there was nothing, even staying at Google, I would have continued to think of these ideas and want to write, write something or draw something or get up on stage. Um, this was always in me and I don't think it's ever going to go away. Thankfully it's, it's never going to go away. I'm, I'm actually glad that I, I do 
constantly want to make, make the next thing. I can't give up because giving up means that I'll never get there. And eventually, if I just keep doing it, no matter if it takes two years, five years, or 10 years, um, I will get to something that I actually feel is as good as my taste in comedy or satire. Sure, it'll never feel easy if we keep pushing ourselves and keep making that next thing. And no, we'll never feel like we've reached some sort of grand finale, some moment that lets us know that we've made it. But that's thinking about this as a race against others. Instead, what if we tried to race against ourselves? What if we pushed ourselves and beat our former best time and time again? Maybe then we can find our upper threshold and move past it and on to the next one. Maybe then we'll do more creative work and lead more meaningful careers. Maybe then we can find our stride, sprint ahead, and finally break away from the pack. Free. Thanks for listening. This one was written, hosted, and produced by me, Jay Akunzo, way back when. Uh, I'm hard at work making new episodes of the show. I cannot wait to make the show consistently again. I think I said it last episode when we when we re-aired the story of Tim Urban from Wait But Why. Uh, but Unthinkable feels like home. I feel home again. I can't wait to do more of these episodes. But to get there, again, I have to find a way to fund it as an independent creator. That's what my membership group is all about. Not only does it support the show, but it supports our careers as we learn, connect, create, and grow. So you can explore all the pricing and what it entails and what you'll access on the site makewhatmattersgroup.com. Use code UNTHINKABLE for a discount. I also send a free newsletter every Friday, does not require joining the group, which you can also find at the same website with a big button right at the top. So either way, visit makewhatmattersgroup.com. There's also a link in your show notes. Shoutouts to supporters and group members Azur Shad, Kevin Schmidlin, Andy Cook, Camilla Duggan, Brendan Hufford, Jeremy Enns, Jody Trudeau, and Michael Ashford. Thank you for your support, generosity, and creativity. I'm back in two weeks, and until then, keep making what matters. Bye bye.